Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be his kingdom now and forevermore. Amen. Amen and amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Sing it with me. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. All the day long, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand has provided great is thy faithfulness Lord unto me this is my story this is my song praising my Savior all the day long this is my story this is my song praising my savior praising my savior praising my savior all the day long I surrender all I I surrender all all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender one more time with me. I surrender all. I, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I I surrender all. Give the Lord a hand clap, if you will. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm just warming up here. Hallelujah. 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 Glory, 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 glory in the house. Glory in the house tonight. My soul love you, Lord. Glory in the house. I said glory. Glory, glory. Oh, oh, oh. hallelujah, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your magnificent name. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Oh, yes. My soul love him tonight. Amen. Please be seated. To the set man of this house, <clears throat> he was in talking about the Holy Spirit at your front door. Well, I went in to use his bathroom back there. <clears throat> and if the Holy Ghost goes in there, it's got to walk over deer heads, antlers, hunting pants. Lord, have mercy. I was looking for a shotgun or something back there. I thought, I know he said he was a redneck, but I thought he said he was saved now. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> it is an honor to be here tonight and uh, to worship with 11 22. And uh, I just want to commend you as a congregation. It is so evident that it is the will of God that you abide in this city. Um, you are touching lives. You are changing people's lives. You are missions. How many mission trips this year already? Ridiculous, the number of mission trips. But it is so wonderful to see the hand of God on a people that wherever you meet them, in the store, the restaurant, on the corner, they're excited about God and what God is doing. That's just a good thing. And so, you know, uh, there are many churches in this city that, that God is, is using. And 1122 has been added to it. And what a great addition you are to the body of Christ. Can you give yourselves a hand tonight? Amen. But I come here tonight in the name of the Lord, not as a speaker, but as a preacher, but from Providence, my favorite place on earth, Providence. And so if you're here tonight and you're from Providence, would you please stand? If you're here from Providence, I see you way in the back. I see my theologians are here. Youth are here. Thank you for coming, teachers, staff. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Joby, for inviting us. And uh, I'm just grateful to God for doing that. And, and also thank the Lord for Corey tonight. Okay? Oh. All right. Uh, I don't want to waste time because I have to go to work in the morning. And I'm the oldest preacher you've ever had in this pulpit so far. I am not young. Joby said he's just turned 40. My daughter's older than him. Lord, have mercy. So I thank the Lord for my wife being here with me as well. And yes, she is my Sharia Moore. I met her as a junior in high school. I asked her out several times. She said no. And uh, I treated her like I was a salesman. And when somebody says no to you, it only means that they don't have enough information yet to say yes. That's all no means. That's all it means. You just haven't given her enough information. Now she's got the right information. See? It's like that. She's got the right information. Praise the Lord. All right, let me get back to my text before I get myself in trouble. All right. So tonight, we are talking about the title of my message, you know, Life in the Spirit. My, my title is God's Empowering Presence. And that, I hope that comes to mean a lot to you tonight. God's Empowering Presence. Uh, just before I read the text, let's just back up one step and step back up onto the curve out of the intersection and say that I was raised in a Pentecostal church, the black church, Church of God in Christ, uh, the oldest Pentecostal church in America, uh, the largest Pentecostal denomination in America. Assembly of God is the largest in the world. Church of God in Christ is the largest in the United States. And my mother was the church piano player, which meant I sang solos before the preacher got up, and I hated every moment of it because the little boys would sit out there and make faces at me. And then after church, we'd fight. I had my little suit on. We'd fight. My mother said, how'd you get your suit dirty? She said, well, you know, when you get home, I'm going to deliver you. So I got many a beaten. So Sunday morning was hell on earth. <laughs> so when I got 16, I told her, I said, Mom, you know, you really can't whoop me anymore. So, like, I'm not going, you know. She said, oh, you'll be back. But, oh, don't hold your breath. 21, I was back by the grace of God. So um, my journey since then is that I've tried to be very 
eclectic. My education has taken me from Pentecostals to evangelical uh, to sacramental theology because I, I wanted to understand the whole body of Christ. And um, I want to be able to become all things to all people. And so that was part of my quest and my journey. So I stand here tonight as someone who is born into a, a move of God that was strictly Pentecostal. So I have been in church longer than most of you have been alive. Because we had long services, five hours, not just a, a week of meetings. No, 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 no. That's pansy stuff. You guys even haven't even got wet yet. I mean, we would come at 7 and not leave till midnight every night, three weeks straight, and fast on Tuesday and Friday, and we didn't even get to eat lunch at school because my mother said, God is watching you. And so we would do that. And the only time I prayed was on Friday night when the visiting evangelist had to decide whether he was going to stay another week. I said, God, don't tell that man to stay another week. Don't do that. If he got a good offering, he was staying. Come on now. So anyhow, that's my background, and we've made a journey since then. So I want to speak to this text. I want this text to speak to us and we're going to, I believe, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15. It'll probably be up on the board there. Begin the reading at verse 15. Would you stand just one more time, please, for the reading of God's word? My ordination is Episcopal. It's the right reverend doctor. Get that right. Right reverend. Not the wrong reverend, but the right reverend doctor, all right? All right. So anyhow, Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15. Paul speaks, look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Father, this is your word. These are your people. I am your servant. I pray that tonight you will give me the tongue of the learned, that I might speak a word in season to him or to her who is weary. Let your word comfort every heart that is disturbed. Concomitant, let it disturb every heart that is too comfortable. Let it bring edification to your people and glory to your holy name. For I ask it in that name that is above every other name, Yeshua, Hamashiach. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated as I introduce you for a little short moment here to manuscript preaching and then We'll move from there. I'm just going to give you an, a, a real uh, diversity of preaching tonight, but I'm going to be, begin manuscript. This is my introduction. Contemporary Christianity has a right to be concerned in an increasingly secular, individualistic, and relativistic world, dubbed post-Christian in the 1960s and now called postmodern. The church is viewed as irrelevant at best and Neanderthal at worst. Frankly, much of the fault lies with the church, especially those who pride themselves in orthodoxy with an unholy alliance with a given political agenda. But there is a reason for hope since the contemporary postmodern period looks a lot like the culture of the Greco-Roman world into which the gospel first appeared 2,000 years ago. The secret to success of the early believers in their culture lay first with their good news centered in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But their success lay also with their, listen to this, experience life of the Spirit who made the work of Christ an effective reality in their lives, thus making them 
a radical alternative within their culture. With our central focus on Jesus Christ, we have marginalized the spirit in the halls of learning and in the life of the church as a community of faith. This common missing out on the spirit as an experienced empowering reality has been frequently corrected historically through many spirit movements. The most frequently, most frequently in the form of Pentecostal or charismatic movements. My wife and I became Christians in 1973. I was born again August 19th, 1973, at the tail end of the charismatic movement. And when I was in the streets doing drugs, fighting, remember one night my wife gave me a dirty look as they handcuffed me and took me to jail because I had promised her I wasn't going to fight again, and it didn't work out that night. And, uh, but that, during that season, all of a sudden, like 30 of us young people showed up at this church, and no one had witnessed to us nor had anybody, had we talked with each other, but it was a sovereign drawing of the Holy Spirit. And so we came in on the charismatic movement. That's how it was during that season. But I was raised Pentecostal. So where Catholics and Baptists and Methodists were just getting used to it, I was born in it. I mean, I saw people speaking in tongues all my life and prophesying and people being prayed for for healing and demons being casted out of people. That was an everyday occurrence for me. That was not new to me. And yet, I had not experienced it. I viewed it, but had not experienced it. You see, these spirit movements, although powerful, they emphasize individualistic spirituality and frequently lack sound exegetical basis because in the church that I was born again in they didn't have sound doctrine and you saw extremes of everything and I mean I've seen things that would scare most people and I remember nights where in high school you know my wife was a National Honor Society student we we was pretty smart in school and I had some friends and I invited them to my church service and Lady was rolling around the floor. Next thing you know, her dress is up over her head. And I, I just thought, <sighs> I just wanted to curse. I just wanted to cuss and get out of there because I thought, okay, this is not what I wanted you to see. This is, this is not it. This is not it. But it's interesting to me that God has proven to me, I don't care how his people act. God will still show up and show out. God has showed up at places where I wouldn't show up. Like, I'm not going to that meeting over there. And then you find out God did something over there. Like, why? Why did he do that? Because God is God, and he can do anything he wants to do. So, the net result of this lack of sound doctrine and extreme emotionalism, the net result has leaned towards a truncated view of the Spirit. But what about, and here's where we come to the text, What about Paul's understanding in Scripture? He viewed the Spirit as the key player. There's a slide for this one. He viewed the Spirit as a key player in all Christian life from beginning to end. A key player from beginning to end. Pauline theology, the Apostle Paul, he viewed the Spirit as a key player in all Christian life from beginning to end. For him, life in the Spirit meant embracing both Gifts and fruit simultaneously and vigorously. That's what I call, and one scholar calls it, the radical middle. Between between gifts and fruit, the radical middle. That we acknowledge both sides. That we need the fruit of the Spirit. And I always say this. You know, don't let your charisma take you where your character can't keep you. And, and you can be, have so much charisma and lack character. And character, the fruit of the Spirit speaks of character, and that's where your strength is. And anointing can come and go. It can be on you, and then it's gone, and then, you, then it's just you again. And, and so you need the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not gifts or fruit, it's both. It's not either or. That's platonic philo- uh, philosophy. It's, it's both. It's, it's paradoxical. It's one and the other. 
So we need a via middle, as the Anglican theology talks about, the via middle, the middle way. We need to find the medical way, that radical middle where we acknowledge the fruit and we acknowledge the gift and we hang on to both. Now, there, was a, there is a movement presently and has been through history where we have people that are called sensationists, the reformers who viewed that all gifts cease with the apostles. And I happen to attend a seminary right now that believes this, and I'm in their midst working on my doctorate. They followed Augustine, St. Augustine, the African bishop of Hippo. And he, in his early writings, was adamantly agreed that since the apostles, the gifts of the Spirit have left the church. There's no tongues, there's no miracles, there's no healing. That, that phase is gone. That was only here to introduce Christ and lay the foundation of the church, and now that the apostles are dead, those things have ceased. But the reformers used Augustine as their theological base. However, in the last 10 years of Augustine's life, he wrote what was called the Retractions, and then another book called The City of God. And what happened was, is one Easter morning in his service, a man got healed. <laughs> like, why did you do that, Lord? Didn't you read my last sermon? I said the apostles are gone unless you're trying to say I'm an apostle. I mean, God did it, and so he had to retract. And you know what? I, I, I honor him for that because he was man enough to admit that he was wrong and that no one has a corner on God. You can't tell God what he can't do. I couldn't tell my mama what she couldn't do. She never sought my advice. And I noticed that the Lord doesn't either. So I think they got a relationship there. <laughs> Augustine changed his, his mind in the last 10 years because he witnessed the miraculous power of God. Now, the fall of Protestantism in Europe is partly contributed to sensationism. David Hume, the philosopher, told Europe, and he told the reformers, if you're saying that God does not move in power now in gifts and miracles and healings, then I argue he never did. And it all went down from there. But Pentecostalism in awakenings became extreme emotionalism and weak doctrinally. If you ask some Pentecostals to explain what's happening to their life, they will commit exegetical suicide. They will do that, trying to explain it, because the theology is not there. But again, what we need in the church in this hour is a radical middle. In, in, in Colossians 3, Paul says, you know, to be filled with the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Let it dwell richly. But then he also tells us to be filled with the Spirit. So we have this understanding of word and spirit, word and spirit, and they agree. They never contradict each other. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Bereshit, Elohim, bara, the shahamin, the rats. God created the heavens and the earth right there, and the spirit brooded. And as it brew over the, 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 the darkness, then God spoke because the spirit and the word are in agreement. And you will never have the Spirit without the Word or the Word without the Spirit. Come on now. Talk back to me here. I'm going to get an amen somewhere. So the Spirit covers the whole waterfront. Power for life, growth, fruit, gifts, prayer, witnessing, and everything else. Paul brings the empowering experience dimension of life in the spirit to what lies at the very heart of the Christian faith. That at the very heart and root of the Christian faith is this empowering experience dimension of the spirit of God. That you cannot be justified without the spirit. Hello. You can say you're just, but if you don't have the spirit living in you, you are not justified. So you, you, you got to believe, but the Spirit has to come and dwell in you. And that's the greatest witness that you have been justified, is that the Spirit of God now lives in you. 
There is no way around that. Now note, if the church is going to be effective in our postmodern world, we need to stop giving lip service to the Spirit and recapture Paul's perspective, which is an apostolic teaching. When we listen to Paul, we sit under apostolic instruction because the apostle is speaking. And I turned yesterday to the book of Joby, chapter 4, verse 6, and read this phrase, let the dust of the rabbi fall on me. Does your own church know what that's all about? No, okay. All right, that just killed that joke. <laughs> but it was a practice in Jesus' day, in the, in the philosophers' days, that uh, students of the teacher would follow the te- teacher. He had a peripatetical kind of ministry as they walked through the groves and down the street, they took advantage of real-life situations to teach. And the students would follow the teacher, and his, he would stir up dust. And literally, they walked close enough, because their understanding was, is that the rabbi has the ability to make me like him. And so today, we need to understand, as we follow the great rabbi, follow Christ, He has the ability to make us like him. So when I read Paul, who is my favorite, if I could have hung out with anybody in Scripture, it was Paul. But I say when I read Paul, let the dust of the rabbi fall on me. Let the same spirit. And you see, when we have ordinations and people get ordained, the charisma, the charismata, All we're doing is you're being anointed to say what the church has always said. Not to come up with something new, but apostolic teaching down through the ages. Jesus taught the apostles. The apostles taught on. You can read a book called The Apostolic Fathers, and one of them in there is Polycarp, who was a disciple of John the Beloved. And so here he is, a contemporary, and he writes as a student of John in the Apostolic Fathers, which is not a part of the canon of Scripture, but you can see that the influence of apostolic teaching on Polycarp. And this is important for us, that today we are linked. We have apostolic succession down through the generations through the teachings of Christ and his apostles. And so we're anointed in this hour to say the same things that have been said for 2,000 years. And it's the same spirit by which we speak. Nothing has changed. Now, we, we changed a few things. I've never preached under a real lamp like this before. Uh, you know, and we're in a Kmart. What? I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh. touchy, aren't we? <laughs> Excuse me, Walmart. This is not a Kmart store. I am so sorry. Let me take that back. <laughs> yeah. Why do teenagers spend hours at night at Walmart? What is going on at Walmart that teenagers leave their house at 11 o'clock at night to meet another teenager at Walmart? All right, we'll talk about that, young people, later. Let me move on. I've got sidetracked here. So, if the church is going to be effective, we can't give lip service. But the spirit, we must recapture Paul's perspective, which is apostolic teaching. Now, here is my central thesis, and this is a slide so you can see it. Central thesis, and I'm going to say this twice because this is the heart of the matter. The Spirit is the experienced, empowering return of God's personal presence in and among us who enables us to live radically as an eschatological people in this present world while we wait The consummation. The word eschatological means last day people. Last days. So let me say it again. The spirit is the, here's the key word, experienced. We've got to experience the spirit. Not just talk about it, give lip service. We need to have an experience with the empowering 
return of God's personal presence. We know we are always in God's presence because he's ubiquitous. He's everywhere. But there is the manifest presence of God. There is the, the, the thing that separated Israel from every other pagan religion in their day is that they were the only one whose God literally showed up. His manifest presence came down and rested over the mercy seat. And a cloud went before him. And in that cloud, the theophonic glory cloud, the cloud that God lives in, Moses went into that cloud, stayed 40 days, no eat, no drink, come out, said a few things, went back in again. Well, the reason he could live like that in the cloud, because in the cloud was the bread of life himself. In the cloud was the water that never will leave you dry. So, so there is something to be said about the experience, manifest presence of Almighty God. And that's what we long for. When I was at that ball field, without any theological understanding, I stood, stood there that night and the presence of God came over me. And for all you anatomy and physiology students, we have what's called a parasympathetic nerve in the body. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God touched that spirit in me me and I knew God was present I knew he was present so the spirit is an experienced empowering return of God's personal presence in and among us who enables us to live radically as eschatological we are the people of the last days I'm gonna talk about that in a minute we're the people of the last day in this present world we're not trying to escape this world it's like in a neighborhood I grew up with. When you stepped out of the door in my neighborhood, you better man up. All punks were dealt with. Huh? You couldn't escape. You got to man up. We've got to man up in this world. And so we're not trying to escape this world. We've been empowered to engage this world for the glory of God. While we wait for the consummation. Because our Lord is coming again. He is coming again. All right, next slide. Let's talk briefly four descriptives of the Spirit. First of all, number one, the Spirit is a person. And let's be very clear. He is a person. The Creed, the Nicene, the Apostles, the Athanasius Creed says, and we believe in the Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who with the Father and Son is both worshipped and glorified. He is the third person of the Godhead. And in classical fourfold exegetical procedure, that's the theological term there, you will find that anything that, that speaks of God, you find a fourfold exegetical procedure that proves God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God, because they meet the fourfold criteria. All three persons, one God. It's called the consubstantiality of God, the co-inherent nature of God the perichoraces of God, the hypostatic union of God. He is three, yet he is one. So we're talking about a person, a person who in the book of Acts spoke and said, set apart for me, Paul, for the work that I have called him. The Holy Spirit spoke. He's not an impersonal force. He's got better communication than you and I have. He can speak for himself when he wants to. I would love it if the Lord, one time I was pastoring this mega church in Buffalo, and I said, I stood in the pulpit on a Sunday morning just messing around. I said, if I be a man of God, let thunder and lightning come right now, and it did. <laughs> God is my witness. I said, so y'all better start listening to me. I ain't going to try that again, though. I ain't going to try that again. If you hit it the first time, leave it alone. <laughs> leave it alone. If you're not used to being a winner and you hit it the first time, you knock him out, get out of there. <laughs> All right, let's, let's move on. Number two, the spirit as eschatological fulfillment. What do we mean by that? And this is, this is profoundly simple and simply profound. The eschatological moment, because in Joel chapter two, which Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost, he said to explain the phenomenon of tongues, and everybody, all of a sudden, Jewish people having the dialect of all the people in the crowd, being able to speak to them, the wonders of God, the opus Dei, the work of God, that the miracle was, Peter said, let me explain this to you, because in Joel, God said through the prophet, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So let it be understood that the, the birthday of the church is also the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. 
the day the Spirit of God came in and filled the apostles that day, Paul himself, being a theologian, understood that the criteria upon which he walked as an eschatological preacher was the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a double confirmation to who God is and what God is doing. So, brothers and sisters, we are people of the last days, and we have an anointing for this time. So, we call it, and, and if you study the scholars, in New Testament theology is only a, over, a little over 100 years old, other than the liberal side. But the reality is we have this theme in theology called the now-not-yet theology. A now-not-yet. Notice in 1 John 3, he says, Beloved, now are you the sons of God. This is King James. But it does not yet appear what you shall be. Did you hear that? Now you are the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what you shall be. We are living in a now-not-yet time. And let me explain that. Because... Life is paradoxical. Jesus made it clear that we live in a present evil age. This is a present evil age. We get that. But Hebrews 6 and 5 says, we have tasted of the powers of the age to come. That the power of the age to come, the Holy Spirit, broke back in on this present age and filled the apostles everyone in the upper room, and then it just began to spread through the world. And we live in an overlap of the age to come and this present evil age. We live in the overlap of those two ages. That's where we are, the conflict of the ages. That's where Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities is the best of times, it's the worst of times. Life at its best here for Christians is paradoxical. But if you're going to be successful in a paradoxical time, you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be victorious. Because for Christians, you can get up in the morning and good things can happen and bad things can too. Come on, somebody. It happens to us. And, and, and no amount of confession can make certain things go away. The devil's still going to be the devil. I don't care how much you think you bind him. He'll going to get up tomorrow and mess with you. <laughs> if not... The traffic here in Jacksonville is going to mess with you. If the devil won't do it, they will. I had a lady downtown. I, I was at a Rotary Club meeting this morning. And, uh, you know, when you work with teenagers and then you go to a Rotary Club, it's like, oh, all these people are as old as I am. Let me get out of here. <laughs> then I went to a noon luncheon, and they were in their 40s. That was better. And then back to the school with 60 and 70. And it's just wonderful. Okay, I just needed to say that, get that off my chest. But it was really bothering me. But, but. So here we are, <laughs> here we are in this moment, and it's paradoxical. And so the empowering presence of God is that when bad things happen, we have the ability to overcome it. Come on now. In Revelations, don't cross that line right there. In Revelation, and don't cross this one here either. Y'all can't see these, but I got borders up here. I got borders up here feel like a caged animal. <laughs> in Revelation, Paul, John write, writes to seven churches, and listen to this phrase. He points out their failure, their flaw, their propensity for evil, their pejorative bent. And he says to them, listen to this, to him who overcomes will I give the reward to. We are born to be overcomers. Our spiritual DNA says, if you knock me down, I'll get right back up and bust you dead upside your head. Come on now. Come on. Uh, we have the DNA to overcome. But how? Not by might, neither is it by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And the anointing destroys every yoke. That as the anointing strengthens us, the yokes of sin and bondage and oppression are broken off us. We are liberated by this great power. So in a time in America and in the world where it looks like everything's going to hell, and it is, unless they get saved, we, the people of God, were anointed for this moment in history. But God, it has to be God's 
experience of God's empowering presence to carry us victoriously through this paradoxical time while we wait the consummation where this present evil age will be dealt away with and we will be in heaven, in paradise, new heaven, new earth, wherein dwells righteousness forever. I mean, that's our hope. That's a Christian hope. So we can fight the good fight in the strength of God. David said, my soul shall make his boast in the Lord. And the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. We're not bragging and boasting about our own ability. We are bragging and boasting about the ability of our God. That's what it's all about. So, point three here is that the spirit as evidence of the future. Well, how do we know there's a future? If you're evolutionist here today, you don't have a future. You're just a bunch of molecules and you'll return to dirt like you started. There's your future, you dirt ball. <clears throat> Go on and be evolutionist, you dirt ball, you. Anyhow, but, but if you're filled with the Spirit, see, and I, and I would tell uh, Pentecostal people that, that you know, that, uh, that Pentecost is more than speaking in tongues. Help me, Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, because I do speak in tongues. I, I, me, Van Gaten, we're here, we're here. I do. I have the gift of tongues. Every day I pray in tongues. I'm in my car. People like, look over at me. They think I'm singing. I am but in the spirit. But, but my point is this. The spirit isn't given to the church just to speak in tongues. If that's all you get out of it, that's really trivial to, to the magnitude of why God is here by the spirit. So the spirit, three metaphors. Number one, it's a down payment. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a down payment that the best is yet to come. You just, we just got to touch. I mean, God just touches us. We go, whoo, glory. I mean, we like that touch of God. Lord, have touch that parasympathetic nerve again. Hey, thank you, Jesus. Lord, have mercy. Oh, yeah, we like that. You can get addicted to that. Come on now. You can get addicted to that. But it's just a down payment. Secondly, first fruits. It's so nice that when you're walking along and God... One day you find yourself in the dumps of life and floundering in the quicksands of an existential mood. Life is not going well. You're, you're facing the absurdity and the hostility of the universe. And, and, and then all of a sudden God touches you. And boy, you just feel like you've been raised from the dead. Lord have mercy. That's a good moment right there. That's not a, that's not a V8 moment. No, 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 no. That's a Holy Ghost moment. That's a, we need a Holy Ghost moment. Come on now. Let me move on. Last of all, the third metaphor is a seal. We have been sealed. As our bodies are getting older, Lord have mercy, and I see this so clearly. Oh, my goodness. I used to be able to do like just do a couple sets, and they were hard. Now I do 80 sets, and it's still not hard. What, what is going on here? I look at my wife the other day. What, what is happening? What is happening to me? As our bodies are getting older, at the same time, it has been stamped. <laughs> it has been stamped with eternity on it. There's an eternal stamp on this body that says it will go old and it will die. But it's been stamped. It's been sealed by the Holy Ghost. And just like Jesus offered himself up on the cross by the eternal spirit, he was also resurrected from the dead by the spirit of holiness. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise us. He's going to raise us from the dead. Lord, have mercy. So we love him. But here we come to the moment where we moving towards the final point here as we jaywalk through this text be filled with the spirit next slide be filled with the spirit there are four admonitions in ephesians 4 17 through 5 21 just give them to you briefly because only the last one counts tonight he he admonishes them put off the old man put on the new dehabituate rehabituate some things we need to dehabituate get rid of that that's a bad habit stop that blah, blah. but then we need to rehabituate put on this put on that Paul admonishes the church to do this. Secondly, 
Don't wrong your neighbor. Thirdly, no filthiness. And brothers and sisters, there is so much filthiness going on in the world. I mean filthiness on television. Peter Singer, and I want this boy, professor at Princeton, the leading bioethicist in the world, is going around advocating that, that we're all animals. And how dare we think we're better than the rest of the animals? This, this world-renowned professor. And he says, therefore, since we're animals, nothing wrong with you having sex with animals. Because we're all animals, and it's that arrogance that just came out of you just now when you said, ew. He, he would say, that's your arrogance. You need to humble yourself and realize you're no better than any other animal. I'm, there is filthiness in this world. The sex trafficking that's going on. Things that one human being will do to another is filthiness. Paul says in the church, no filthiness. And then the one we're after tonight, he, the fourth one, he says, exercise Christian wisdom. Now, he calls us to walk in wisdom. He tells us, walk in wisdom. Let's go back to the text here. Walk in wisdom. Why does he want us to walk in wisdom? Because he wants us to make use of the time, make, capitalize, maximize the opportunities in life that God will bring your way. And as Christians, he's not saying that they're not taking advantage of it, but he's saying, you're walking pretty good, but I want you to walk more accurately. Every time God comes, and by the process of sanctification, God is going to keep on empowering your walk with him so that your walk can become more accurate. Because you don't ever want to miss an opportunity, a kairos moment in God. God told Israel, you missed the day of your visitation. And after that, in 70 A.D., Titus destroyed the city. There's a spiritual principle there. When God comes to visit you, that is the moment to respond. That's your moment of visitation. And I remember back in the 80s that I was struggling with something in my heart, and God came to me one night, and I knew he wanted to set me free from that thing. And I got right up off my knees because I didn't want to give it up at that moment. And do you know, it was seven years before he had visited me again about that issue. Seven years I carried that, knowing that I could mark the day. I know the house I was in. I know the couch that I was kneeling down next to when he came to set me free, and I resisted it. And the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. You can grieve him because you don't yield. If you're sitting out here and God's drawing you and he's speaking to you about something and you know you should come forward and you sit there and you just fight it off, you have grieved the Holy Spirit of God. That was your moment. You have no idea what it would have been waiting for you had you responded. Your Kairos moment. We've got to make every opportunity and that takes wisdom to walk with God in such a way putting away filthiness all not abusing your neighbor putting off the old man putting so that when he comes like Israel he said you know you missed your day I came unto my own and they didn't receive me I visited them I was in their midst they crucified me and then Israel fell as a nation 70 AD you see then I want to come to where Paul brings up. Look at verse with me, and I'm, I'm moving along. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine. Let's stop right there. Do not get drunk. I've only been drunk once in my life uh, because uh, my wife, we were in high school, and we were supposed to go to this party, <clears throat> and I got there, and she didn't show up. So having never had a drink, I took a whole bottle of wine, and I was sitting on the floor, and I drank it. And when I got up, I fell back down. And it was snowing, so I walked uptown, sneakers, shirt open, and I ran into her. And, they, and she and her girlfriends walked me home, and the next day at the corner of my house, there was a liquor store, a bar. And I walked by and smelled that and threw up again. 
And, uh, you know, I realized the next day that, oh, my goodness, if I'd have run into some of my homeboys, that would have been a good night for me to get a whooping. So I don't want to ever be where I can't fight. <laughs> so you're drunk. You can't fight. We used to have a guy in our neighborhood. His name was Spider. That was his nickname, Spider. Spider dared do anything. So Spider get drunk. He'd stand in front of the bar, and he'd say, the next man through the door is mine. And the guy would come through, and he'd slap the guy, and the guy would beat him up, and he'd get up. All right, the next guy. <laughs> now, when you're drunk, you can take a whooping. I ain't feeling nothing. Till the next day. Paul says, Christians who are trying to take advantage of opportunity, get their kairos moment, experience power, presence of God, do not be drunk with wine. Now, I want to deal with this a moment. Now, when we talk about, when we use the word symposium, the word symposium, we're having a symposium, a gathering of scholars and intellectuals to symposiumize. Uh, the Greek word there means a drinking party. That's what the word means. But in Paul's day, in the Roman Empire, they had a god born of Zeus named Dionysus. And he, the goddess Dionysus, they believed in their worship of him that you would, they would drink wine Believing that as we drank this wine, he would fill them with his presence, Dionysus, and reveal to them his will. So they were drinking wine, getting drunk, inebriated, Ripple, Boone's Farm, <laughs> that expensive stuff, that college stuff. We used to have a gallon of it in our house, like, I got that for 99 cents. We used to have this big guy in my college town. His name was Bart. Everybody was afraid of Bart. I come out of my apartment one day to go to psychology class. Bart said, come here, monkey. So when Bart called, you just come. So I went over, yes, Bart. Sit down, drink with me. Open up Thunderbird. Oh, drink it. I sat there. We drank three bottles together. I crawled back into my apartment. That's all that happened the rest of the day. He made me get drunk with wine, and I couldn't help it. So I avoided him the rest of my college days. So Dionysus, in their, in their gatherings, their orgies, their filthiness, they drank the wine, went into a frenzy, ecstatic speech. I mean, it was just wild, hoping that the, God, the son of Zeus would fill them with the, his presence and reveal his will. Paul, in contrast, says, don't be drunken with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So this text is not saying that it's wrong to drink. It's saying it's wrong to get drunk. That's what he's dealing with in this text. We can talk about the rest of it. But in this text, he is just forbidding drunkenness. That, that if you're a believer, you're not occupied with getting drunk every night. That's not your goal. Your goal is to be filled with the Spirit so that you might understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's why Holy Ghost parties are important. Let me tell you, the Holy Ghost parties, we had, we had Holy Ghost parties where my wife would tell you, we had a church where we had thousands of members, hundreds of members, and we would come like on Saturday night at 7 and stay till Sunday morning. And we'd have a full band up here, and we would shout, cry out, fall out, Call on God all night long, and when the morning came, nobody wanted to leave. Lord, have mercy. Those were glory days. I'm telling you, there are glory days that when you get into the manifest presence of God, time is of no value. Lord, have mercy. A, a moment, and you can be there for hours, and it just feels like minutes because of the presence of Almighty God. It is that experience that we must have the increase of the presence of God at key moments to empower us forward in these wicked days. Why? Because the days are wicked. So, be filled with the Spirit. That, that verb, be filled, is a present imperative. So that means right now, continually, this is not an encouragement, this is a command, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, it is, it is sine qua non, it is essential that we be filled with the Spirit continually over and over and over again. And it is not like the Spirit is at our disposal. You can't tell the Spirit to do anything. But we need to keep ourselves ready and open for any time he wants to move on us. I know nights I've woken up in my bed and sensed the presence of God hovering over my bed. 
just woke up. I remember telling my wife one time, I woke up, and it was like, oh, oh, I wasn't supposed to see this. Let me go back to sleep. Because it was like the Spirit of God was over my bed. He was. And I remember one night the Lord woke me up, and it's wonderful when he wakes you up and talks to you. So one day, uh, the Lord woke me up. I was pastoring a church, and he said, uh, uh, he called this guy's name. I knew. He said, Terry uh, has got a gun with him today, and he's going to go kill somebody. Go get him. So I walked, got dressed, went downtown. <clears throat> Terry would come up the street. I said, Terry, I said, under your coat right now, you got a gun, and you're going to kill somebody. Terry stopped, said, who, how, who, how, how, did you, how did you know that? I said, God told me that. We were living in Buffalo, New York. We had gone on a seven-day fast. I asked God to speak to me. He, I woke up one morning. He said, go down to the worst park in Buffalo because there's a female, there's a girl gang down there, and they're getting ready to act up, and I want you to talk to them. So I went down there, and, and, and as I was walking to the park, I know the Lord said, there she is. So I walked up, and I said, you're a gang leader. She said, she looked at me, <laughs> uh, and how do you know that? I said, the Lord told me. She said, oh, 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 the Lord talks to you. I said, he sure does. She said, well, let's see what else he's got to say. So she called over to the next girl, one of her girls. Come over here. So the girl said, what's the Lord saying about her? And the Lord told me something intimate about that girl. She broke down and cried right there. Then she called the next girl. She called, she called and God told me something about that girl, and she broke down and cried. And next thing you know, there are 15 girls lined up. The whole gang is there, and they're all crying because God still speaks. Oh, yes, he does. He still speaks. And I could go on for hours of the different times that God has spoken to me and the things that have happened. But we got to be open. You can't make it happen, but you're open to it if God wants to do it. And that's where sometimes Pentecostal has gone too far, is that if, if it doesn't happen, then you start making it happen. You start hearing things God ain't saying. Come on now. That's a whole different story. But God is real. So let me close this text tonight. It is important for us that we keep open to God. Homer used uh, the describe, so, so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Did they say this is nights of saturation? Soaking, saturation, I've heard all those terms. Soaking, saturation. Well, listen to this. Homer used being filled with the Spirit to describe uh, this soaking. He said it's to bull's hide is stretched by soaking in wine and fat. Homer's writings, he tells us that. Bull's hide is stretched by soaking in wine and fat. Now, when David says in Psalm 23, he anointeth my head with oil. The Hebrew word deshan means to remove the ashes of sacrifice and make fat, greasy, dripping with glory. I like that. To, that when God anoints us, he makes us fat, greasy, dripping with glory. It's like a good chicken. Lord have mercy. Just grease all over your mouth. Thank you. That's the royal bird. You know that. We don't slay lambs anymore. We eat chickens. You're not a preacher if you can't eat a chicken. So, you know, sorry about that. That's one of the qualifications Paul put in Timothy. Uh, be filled with the Spirit, saturated, saturated with his presence. And if you are, Paul says in the text, if you are, it will lead to joy. It will lead to thanksgiving. It will lead to singing and obedience. You see, the Lord, as I've laid down this teaching tonight, that it is a part of our emotions that we need to let free. That the gospel should inform the mind. It should challenge the will, and it should stir the emotions. And I, I want you to know that in this moment that we're living, this is like no other time. There's never going to be another time like there is tonight. And, and we must be people of the Spirit because there's all kinds of spirits in the world today. But there's only one Holy Spirit, and there's only one holy people. So on the day of Pentecost, as they were filled with the Holy Ghost, something about these people made everybody else say they must be drunk. And there is a side to the Holy Ghost that if you allow the Lord to work deep in your heart, there's going to be a response that will cause you to have a state of ecstasy. You see, Philo, the Jewish philosopher, said that, the, that, the, that when, 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 when Eli was looking at Hannah at Shiloh and she was praying to her God, he, the Bible said he thought that she was drunk. But she said, I'm not drunk but I'm calling on the name of my God. And, and Philo said, for those, the, the thought of in the spirit being drunk, are for those who are carried away by God. 
You see, there's a place in God where you can get carried away. For the apostle John said in the book of Revelations that there came a, the, that I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard a voice saying, come up here. And he said, I got caught up into heaven and I heard a voice speaking to me. And he said, as I stood there in the manifest presence of almighty God, he said, I behold the lamb of God whose eyes were like a flame and fire and his feet were like fine polished brass. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And I fell at his feet like a dead man. And Christ said, get up for this is not your moment. Listen, there's a time to be slain in the presence of God. I'm not talking about something you make up. I'm talking about a real experience with God. That when you see the Lord like Isaiah did, he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And the angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the doorpost shook at the voice of the angels. And Jer Isaiah said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. Listen, tonight God wants to empower us with his presence. He wants you to be shaken up by the Holy Ghost. You don't need to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Somebody say yes. Say yes. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 8, the man of God said, Jesus said to them, when you wait here in Jerusalem, that you might be endued with power from on high. Listen, we need the power of Almighty God tonight. We need God to do with us what he cannot do for ourselves. We need God to light us up in the Holy Ghost. We need God to reach down into our frail beings and bring us up to the high places. There is a high place in God that you can only go to by the spirit somebody say yes you shall receive power when the holy ghost has come upon you we need power tonight power to act right you need power to talk right you need power to walk right you need power to pray right you need power to think right you need power to rock right you need power to raise the dead power to heal the sick to jump up and down and say yes God is a good God you shall receive power power from God to live as you ought to live to walk as you ought to walk I don't know about you but this is our moment this is our time we need to get down on our knees and wait right there on the day of Pentecost some got up and left but others stayed and waited and they waited until the Holy Ghost fell on them listen you don't have to go to Jerusalem you can come right here to 1122 and get on your knees and stay right there till the Holy Ghost come from on high you're gonna have to hear the rushing wind and hear the clovis done but we need power to live for God we need power to do the will of God somebody say yes say yes come on give him praise shout to God we need power we need power we need power send your power send your power Lord send your power Lord send your power Lord send your power Lord we need your power. We need your power, Lord. We need your power. Yes. Yes, Lord. Give us your power. Give us your powers. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need to speak in tongues. We need prophecy. We need discerning of spirits. We need working of miracles. All of it's possible in God. And all you got to do is go somewhere outside of the United States and you will see it everywhere else because we're so smart up here. Come on, give him praise. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My soul said yes, my soul said yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God's empowering presence is what we need.
my, we had a grandmother in our church, and she would get up some nights in our service, and it just was flat. It just wasn't going anywhere that Sunday. And Mother Walker, who lived on her knees, she would get up and just start walking the aisles. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Oh, 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 oh. And I hear that, and tears would come to people's eyes. She just moaned, Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, 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 Lord. And I'll tell you, things would change. The presence of God would come into that building. And next you know, the saints are just lifting their hands. And hours would go by. Hours would go by. And no one wanted to leave because of the glory of God. When Solomon built his temple and the glory came, they couldn't stand to minister by reason of the glory. You can't make that happen, but we can be ready for it to happen. And let God be God. Can you clap your hands and thank him tonight? Father, in these next few moments, I pray that no one here will grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But everybody here will walk with wisdom and take advantage of the opportunity to walk more accurately in God. And I pray for a release of the gifts of God in this house. A release of every gift. Because when the Holy Spirit is present, there is diversity of gifts. That's how we know your presence. But I pray also, Lord, that your spirit would saturate, stretch. Let it be soaked in wine and fat. Remove the ashes of sacrifice tonight and make us fat, greasy, dripping with glory. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.